This is Yawa Radio. A warm welcome to the Yawa Radio podcast. The Yawa Radio podcast is an opportunity again to listen to one of our inspirational, thought-provoking interviews that we have brought to the listeners of Yawa Radio. Yawa Radio is online 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are your well-being and happiness radio station, bringing the feel-good feeling to every single day of the week. Check us out at yawaradio.co.uk. Now sit back and enjoy this podcast from the Yawa Radio team. Time for another inspirational quote. Be happy. Be inspired. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. Martin Luther King Jr. Welcome to Jordan Space. Every fortnight you can join me, your host Steve Phillip, alongside Danielle and Paul from the Jordan Legacy team, together with some very special guests for an hour of conversation, music, and above all, hope. Welcome to Jordan Space. This show does discuss themes of suicide, and we'd encourage you to take care of yourself by stepping away from the show at any point, should you find the content triggering or uncomfortable to listen to. For support, please visit our website, thejordanlegacy.com, and our help menu options. This This is is Yawa Yawa Radio. Radio. On previous shows, we've talked about the importance of people speaking up about their experiences, sharing their stories, and also about creating safe, supportive spaces in which people can open up about traumatic events, such as attempting suicide or losing someone to suicide. Those who do open up publicly about their lived experience are often called brave. But is that an appropriate term? Should bravery be needed? And are there problems with using this term brave? We'll cover this topic in today's show, as well as hearing from someone who might be called a brave young man for speaking out about his experience of mental illness and his life after a suicide attempt. First, let's welcome our co-hosts, Danny and Paul. Welcome back both. How are you both? Yeah, good. Good to be here. Thanks. Well, Steve. Uh, Paul, you you look like you're already poised to, to ask me a question. Well, you've just mentioned the B word, Steve, haven't you? Brave. Um and uh, you, you know you might be a bit too shy to to say this, but I understand you've been nominated uh, for a bravery award. Are you going to be brave enough to tell us what that's for? Oh gosh, yeah, okay. Um, well, it's an interesting one. Uh, so the the actual award winners, I know, haven't haven't been announced yet, but I know that I have been nominated for the local hero award. Lots of different categories, and, and one in particular is is around bravery and. Um, how do I feel about that? Um, well, look, I, I've been delighted that that kind of really our work at the Jordan Legacy has been recognised. So I think my initial response is, no, I don't feel brave, but I, I kind of understand, I think, why um, people might perceive what I do as being brave. Are, are there times or moments in what you do that where you feel that it is appropriate and you feel you are being brave, you are having to summon courage to do what you do? Yeah, I think in that respect, and that's an interesting question, because I think there are times where it is definitely harder to do what I do. Um, and there are moments yeah, during during talks and, um, you know, certain situations where I know I'm having to to respond to people who are really 
you know struggling and I'm, I'm very conscious of, of that um it, is that brave uh, is it courageous um not necessarily labels i'd attribute to myself but it, it does some it does require me to summon something that that kind of comes from within um it, it's kind of not always a natural thing to do so i do have to draw on some reserves i know that uh in order to to do that and some people may label that as as brave danny um as you know some people choose to open up more and and some don't you've gradually started posting more about losing jordan its impact on on you what are your views about being brave or creating the right environment for people to open up yeah, I think it's it's perhaps just being aware of how we use the term bravery, like we say, and realising that people have different perceptions of the word. Um, to some, the idea of being brave might help them to open up and share their thoughts and experiences, but for others, they might see it as patronising if they're seen as brave for something they consider normal and everyday to them. Um, I think like you and Paul both say, it's about ensuring that we create safe and supportive environments for people to open up so that people don't have to think they're being brave for doing so. Um, and also being aware that just because people may not choose to share their stories, it doesn't mean they aren't brave. Um, it is, it's a difficult one. And I think a lot of it is down to people's perceptions of bravery. Yeah, so it's a, it's a really good point. You I almost could argue if, if we create the right environment uh, where people feel they can open up and talk, um, no one would actually have to be brave. Um, Paul, you, you and I have discussed these issues a lot, and I know you have concerns about uh, some of this language, like being brave and strong. What are the issues as you see them? Well, I think we, we need to be very careful about the language that we use and how we frame all these things, so we should all be at least be very thoughtful um, about this. Uh, we often, in our, you know, in our support work, our counselling work, etc., we we say that we should listen to people without judgment. Uh, we should challenge stigma. Um, you know, we should create these safe, supportive environments where people can choose to open up if they if they wish to. But it's very much their choice. The, the problem with you know, terms like brave, strong, resilient, etc., their judgments. Uh, and they carry baggage with them. So, for example, you know, we often say we want we want young people, young men in particular, to be, you know, brave and strong. You know, and, and on the one hand, we tell them they're brave and strong by not saying anything, and then suddenly we're telling them they're brave and strong for for speaking up. Well, you know, can we just maybe get rid of the labels and just just try and encourage them to speak up? And you know, when they choose to in the right environment, and again, as you and Danny have said, create the safe, supportive environment. You know, we we've a lot of schools have introduced resilience classes and we're trying to teach people how to be more resilient. And in some of the evaluations, people push back and say, well, isn't it about creating a, an environment where they don't have to be so resilient? Why is the responsibility on them to be resilient? And I think specifically with Brave, what happens is sometimes I think people don't necessarily think about what they're saying. It's innocence. They're trying to be supportive. They're saying you are being brave for speaking up. They're not asking you if you're being brave. They're telling you if you're being brave. You know, they're making a judgment about you. You might be thinking, yeah, this is just doing what I feel I should do. Or, or you could be feeling extremely vulnerable and not brave. But they're telling you you're brave. So we, we should be a bit more careful there. And as Danny alluded to, a really important point, it, it, it actually can create, and it is, in its worst case, it can create a new form of stigma. That by telling those people who are speaking up, about their traumatic experiences, about their life experiences, by telling them they're brave, 
for speaking up, you're potentially telling other people they're not brave. Uh, anybody who's chosen not to speak up for whatever reason, probably because we haven't created the right environment for them or they're not at the point at which they want to open up, but also because they are respecting other people's privacy. They don't open up about a story which starts impacting on other people and potentially has other impacts on, on, on other people who are still alive. You know, but they've chosen not to open up. But by telling you know, other people, oh, you're brave, you're strong, you're potentially telling other people you're weak. Uh, and so we've got to be really careful, I think. We've had other people on the show here and at our events where we've actually asked them, do they feel brave? And in most cases, they say, well, not really. I mean, there's not many people who are really comfortable with this label. So I think we should challenge it and just be a bit more respectful. But many, many thanks to both of you. Um, I'm looking forward to discussing this theme further with our guest in just a few minutes. Before then, let's play some more music and we'll be right back after this. Hello, Yawa Radio listeners. Steve Gamlin here, host of the Motivational Firewood Hour with brand new episodes each Monday, Wednesday and Friday at 7 p.m. UK time and bonus replays on the days in between. Look forward to having you as part of a future episode very soon. Please keep on listening to Yawa Radio. Welcome back. From the age of 12, Matt Caruana constantly questioned his self-worth, his self-image, and how he was contributing to the world. He even questioned whether anyone would actually miss him if he didn't exist. These thoughts took over his life and led Matt down a path of self-destruction with drug abuse, depression, and anxiety. Then, on the 9th of January, 2016, at just 16 years of age and no longer able to live with his mental suffering, he made a decision to end his own life. The following day, Matt woke up on a spinal injuries ward in a hospital in Sydney, Australia. Matt, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve, Danielle and Paul. Honestly, this is a, quite an opportunity. I just want to say thank you. No, really, really good to, to have you with us. And Matt, I'm correct, you, you, you're you living in Sydney, uh, Australia. And Paul, you've got some connections there, I believe. Oh, I, I lived in Sydney for almost uh, 15 years, yeah, so before relocating back to the UK in August 29. So, yes, I've got some very fond memories of uh, of Sydney and uh, and and envious of your of your your better uh, weather coming uh, well look great 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 to have you with us and Matt look I was, I was introduced to you indirectly by one of my LinkedIn connections who messaged me one day and said you you need to get this guy on Jordan space and when I read your story I immediately understood why he sent me that message in my introduction, I briefly explained about your struggles with feelings of lack of self-worth, which led to you living with anxiety and depression, and ultimately you making that decision to end your own life, as I mentioned. I'd like you to take us back, if you would, to that 12-year-old young man. And if you can, would you explain what it was about your life that made you feel worthless? If I had to sum it up in one phrase, it would just be a lack of connection a lack of connection to those closest to me. So biologically, my parents, I didn't feel close to at all. That then led me to seek connection in other ways. So whether it be a, a connection within myself, if I wasn't connected to my parents, could I connect with a part of me? And so, you know, around I used to hear, you know, every, everyone has a purpose. Everything happens for a reason. And that made me question myself. You know, was I... Like, was I actually worth anything? What's the meaning of my life? And being 12, I was a pretty tough question to answer. 
I came to the conclusion that at 12 years old with no job, I was taking up space and that I was, yeah, just meaningless and I labeled myself as worthless and carried that with me everywhere. And yeah, feeling like I had to keep it inside as well. I mean, everyone around me used to, you know, hide their emotions and if they were upset, no one would approach them. So I did the same thing. Did, did, did that create any kind of sense of loneliness in you to, to some degree, having to keep all this to yourself, would you say? Yeah, because when I looked around me, everyone was smiling and deep down, I didn't feel that. I felt the need to put on a smile for everyone to quote unquote, prove myself. There were times when smiling wasn't, didn't feel like enough. And felt it felt that bad that I had to go to other things to try to mask the emotions further. Yeah, I asked the question very particularly. You know, we, we're aware of some recent statistics that have come out from Samaritans over here in the UK that say 34% of the calls that, that they receive are, are because of loneliness, people just not feeling that, that connection. Matt, I understand obviously that over time, um, you know, this this led to you seeking other means to try and maybe find some connection. I, I don't know that you you started to take drugs and you know how how bad did did that get for you yeah drugs um let me down a rabbit hole <laughs> i ended up you know dealing to keep up my coke habit and that's when i was 13 but thankfully a girl in my grade who, I, who was my girlfriend at the time she actually got me out of all that don't get me wrong i quickly fell back to other drugs you know not as hardcore but still was trying to escape as much as I could. Did that help you feel any more sense of, of connection or did that lead you, you mentioned the term rabbit hole, but did that actually have the, the opposite effect? Oh, absolutely. Initially, it's going to be like the greatest thing ever. And you think it is, though it's it's really a mask. And that mask, you know, unfortunately comes off when you come down and leaves you more empty. That when you come down and you become sober, you're now comparing yourself to where you were 45 minutes ago two hours ago and you know you're on such a high and you feel empty and the more you run that cycle the more empty you feel it's this vicious loop you know when i read your story i was particularly drawn to the reference about your poor self-image um you know as danny knows you know both of us uh, became aware following jordan's suicide we we found a, a box of his belongings in the attic of, of his home and in, in that box were some notes from the one and only kind of counselling session that we were aware of that he ever undertook following his initial diagnosis with anxiety and depression. As a family, we we were shocked when we came across these notes of his CBT sessions, but particularly the fact that the sessions were almost entirely about his poor body image, um, something we were just completely unaware of. Now, I'm aware that just a week before you made your suicide attempt, you'd posted a shirtless photograph of yourself on Facebook, which I've I've seen and it got a you know huge response from people telling you how great you looked. But it seems you didn't see yourself that way. It's interesting because when you go into something like that, like the gym, for example, the my intention at the time, like when I was 14 inside of the gym, it was all driven from insecurity. Now, if that's the place that I was coming from, no matter how much I achieved, no matter how strong I got, no matter how ripped I got, no matter how big I got, it was never enough because my, it's, it's kind of like an intention, but it's the place I'm coming from was insecurity. And if that's continuously there, if you're coming from insecurity, you're never going to be enough. I, was, I already felt worthless. That was another vice for connection 
you know, when I was bigger, I got more attention from other people. I was training and eating to the point of throwing up. It was, it was extreme. It was also killing me. I posted that photo and all the attention in the world was just giving to me, handed in my plate, though that was short-lived. It was like having a bump of Coke. It, 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 it's, it's a great high, but then you come crashing down because you realize that photo, all, is, all it's worth is people scrolling through their Facebook, tapping like, maybe putting a comment and scrolling past. In my mind, it, 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 was, it was just reinforcing the fact that I wasn't good enough. After that photo was posted, that low self-worth was just amplified. It sounds like from what you say, it's not so much about kind of how you how you looked, but it was kind of obviously what was going on in, inside you. And no matter how well you looked or no matter what drugs you took, at the end of the day, inside you was this kind of feeling of, of lack of self-worth. Mm. Um, Matt, can I just ask a question? We had a, a guest on a previous, um, uh, not, not a, a radio show, but a, a previous event that we ran with Jordan Legacy. Mm. We talked about um, going to the gym being like addiction. And, and almost being mm. a, sense of, um, a form of self-harm, which was something I hadn't really kind of heard it phrased like that before. But it sounds like, um, you know, that that's, you know, in a line to some of the things you, you're making there. Did, did it become almost like a form of addiction or self-harm? It was. I would say more addiction rather than self-harm, but it definitely became an unhealthy obsession driven by insecurity. So what was I really addicted to my insecurities i was addicted to feeling worthless matt one of the 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 questions i suppose i'm thinking you know going back to you know 12 years old and and those thoughts of of self-worth um at what point did you start you know for for the first time to have thoughts of suicide and perhaps then you can take us through the event itself and and that day and, and really uh, what the result of, of that was when I know you you ultimately ended up waking up in, in hospital in not good shape at all. Yeah, and thoughts of suicide, they were there since I was 12. Coming to the conclusion and feeling like it was my absolute truth that I was worthless and a waste of space made me just think of, well, what am I doing anymore? Why am I here? And from 12 years old, I contemplated these things. And then when I was 16, it was like, you know, I'd, I'd put in so much work for that one photo. And, you know, if I put in all that work and I'm still not good enough, I mean, I must really be worthless. And, you know, if this has been my truth now for four years, what am I waiting for? Yeah. January 9, 2016, I just, well, later that night, I, I sent a message to only one person. That was my girlfriend at the time. And I snuck out of my house, walked up to my local shopping center because I knew that I shouldn't be here anymore. And I firmly believe that with every ounce of my being. So at that point, you understood, just decided to, to jump from that shopping centre. Is that right? And I, I woke up in hospital after two weeks in a coma and had 35 injuries. I severed my spinal cord, had a brain injury and was told, Matt, your spinal cord's in two. You will never walk again. You are never get any sensation back, bladder, bowel, sexual function, all that's gone. Matt, it, um, you know, it saddened me to hear that it got to, your life got to that point where you felt it wasn't worth carrying on and you attempted to take your own life. And um, thinking of you in that hospital and waking up with those injuries, uh, I've heard other people telling stories about recovering after suicide attempts and reflecting on what had happened and the thoughts that had 
before they just you know immediately before they made their suicide attempt and then reflections on their life after uh, and how that changes uh, what what were your sort of immediate thoughts and, and emotions and, and reflections and how did that sort of start to shift if i felt worthless for four years and everything built up to the point where i felt like the only reason or the only way to deal with all the pain and just get rid of it all was to end my own life and i couldn't do that right and to then wake up not be able to feel or function half my body was just like a slap in the face to say the least and yeah, if I was worthless, worthless beforehand, how pathetic am I now? I had physical challenges now sure. that were considered, that, that doctors told me were impossible to overcome. So I felt like there was no way out. Did you feel God to still be alive or did you wish you were dead? I wish I was dead. And I felt like there was no way out. I felt I was completely stuck there for the rest of yeah, my life. And how long did those thoughts continue and at what point did they? potentially start to change they were pressing for a long time and i remember people used to ask me all the time what happened what happened people that in the in the hospital as well people that came to visit in just random strangers in public i mean uh, i was 16 years old right and i'm now in a wheelchair and yeah i always said the same thing that i had an accident well the most i would share was i had fall and i carried a massive sense of shame around all that didn't like talking before my injury. Nothing had changed afterwards. So it sounds like you've, you've still got a lot of the issues that you had before the suicide attempt. You've now got additional issues. And, um, and you're now having to wrestle with the physical injuries and with how you explain to people what you, what you did. Yeah. So it seems like it's added, it's added a lot of burdens rather than certainly hasn't solved your problem, has it? And around that time as well, you know, again, connection was everything to me. And what did I identify with? That photo on Facebook. If people ask, you know, Matt, what did you look like before your injury? That's that's the only photo I would show them. Mm-hmm. I want everyone to know, you know, I was the man. I was still that. I was still this, you know. Still trying to prove myself through that body because that's all I identified with, my insecurities. Many thanks for now, Matt. Uh, look, let's take a break. And when we return, we're going to chat about a chance encounter that you had with another total stranger, and how this led to you beginning to climb out of your depression and finding a new purpose in life. We'll be right back after this short break for some more music. Hi, this is Steve. Join me every day of the week from 7 through till 10 for Yawa Breakfast right here on Yawa Radio. Probably the best way to start your day. Make a day. Join me every day, 7 till 10, Yawa Breakfast right here on Yawa Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to Jordan Space and we're talking with Matt Caruana. Having lived with severe depression and anxiety from the age of 12, in 2016, aged just 16, Matt attempted to end his own life. Now he's an international speaker and regularly shares his story in schools and with health professionals and asks the question, what would you do if you had a second chance of life? Matt, I've watched a video on your website, and in that video, you talk about a moment after the event, waiting to catch a train with your mum, when you were approached by a total stranger who saw you sitting in a wheelchair and asked you what you'd done to yourself. Now, people listening will think this guy was probably being really concerned and empathic, and and uh, I'll let you tell this story, but his <laughs> manner was pretty direct, I believe. 
Yeah, I, I love how you articulated it as in concern and caring. Yeah, no, nah, he was, yeah, you know what? To be fair, he was curious. To be fair, he, he was curious and he was really blunt. He was really abrupt. I mean, um, yeah, like in Aussies, we call them bogans. <laughs> and some people call them rednecks or whatever. But he was really, like, really loud, really abrupt. And yeah, what'd you do to yourself? And it, it and I, I swear, it was a mixture of how abrupt he was and how I felt because, you know, just before I met this guy, I just got some piercings and yeah, like, you know, just had a you know, little bit more of a strut in my step, so to speak. And for the first time, it just came out. I said I attempted suicide and then, he, um, yeah, he started laughing at me. <laughs> yeah. And he said it was pretty fucking stupid, wasn't it? <laughs> Gosh, what was your what was your reaction to, to to that comment? I mean, I was uncomfortable, right? I mean, I, how do I react to that? I was sixteen. I, I just recently, four months before I met this guy, I had this whole thing happen. It was like the most overwhelming thing, but I just laughed with him because I was that uncomfortable. And um, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty awkward conversation for me, at least. But he had all these questions, and he sits across from me, asks away. But the next morning, it was so different for me because I woke up with a sense of lightness that I hadn't felt in as long as I could remember. I understand that, that fairly soon afterwards as well, you, you ended up having a meeting with the, the social worker and a conversation with her led to quite a change in, in your life, I believe. There was two meetings with my social worker that changed my life. The first one was the, the morning after that guy and yeah, waking up feeling lighter. And I love to just yeah, give context once more that I, you know, didn't feel comfortable sharing. But for some reason, I went and saw my social worker outside of the session and didn't wait for her to chase me up or anything like that. I just openly shared with her that the guy on the train, how it made me feel. And she's like, Matt, that might might have been a sign. And I'm like, what do you mean? She said, Matt, you told the truth to a complete stranger on a train and woke up feeling lighter. You know, you said you've been lying for four months. I don't know. What if you were to open up to the people close to you in life? Could you potentially strengthen the relationship you already have with them? And I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> I shut the door and went out of the room. And that question I remember word for word because it was pressing on my mind that day. And that afternoon when my girlfriend at the time she came to visit, you know, she was coming to visit each and every day. And that afternoon when she asked how are you it just came out told her the truth and apologized profusely you know i've yeah i mean every time every time i think about this it gets to me because you know for so long the one thing i didn't do was open up share and be real with anyone in my life and the first time i did it just brought it all out it was such an emotional moment and you know i pulled out my phone once again looked up that photo of me with all these muscles and said viv what are you doing with me i mean look at me Four months ago, I had the muscles. I had a six-pack. I was ripped. I mean, I was the man. Now, look at me. I'm in a wheelchair. I can't feel or function half my body. I'm half a man. Like, what are you doing? All the pain I've caused you. And she said, yeah, Matt, you're right. You had all the muscles, but I've never seen a bigger man in front of me. And, um, yeah, shit. I, um, yeah, that, that, that hit me. We just had this moment where we were just so authentic with one another. And, you know, my social work was right. 
we did become closer. And I started talking to some of my mates, even my parents, the two people I thought were never going to know. And sure enough, the relationship with my parents did strengthen over time because we were now authentic with one another. That gave me a supportive network in my life that I never had. You mentioned there was a second meeting that you, you had with your social worker and, and that led to, to really quite a significant change in terms of the direction of your life. It was the end of that year. You know, I'm home at this stage and that same social worker, she asked me to come to the hospital for a meeting. It's kind of out of the blue. I didn't know what it was about, but I found out the reason she wanted to meet with me was she wanted to offer me an opportunity to share my story to this to 30 or so young people that would come through the hospital for this youth prevention, youth risk prevention program. And she knew my background in drugs and all that stuff. And she thought I was a perfect fit given what it led to. And it was like this voice spoke for me. It was like this feeling in my heart that was so strong. And without thinking, I just said yes. And I shared my story for the first time four months later. And being someone, you know, who didn't like opening up at all and sharing my story publicly was, it was daunting. It really was. I was scared. And these young people ended up thanking me. They said it inspired them and they got a lot from it. I mean, in the room, like I, I really tried to, you know, like I always did put on a mask. And when I left and I was going to the bus stop, I was just in tears. I mean, all the emotion came out. Those five years of feeling like I was worthless and actually believing it. That not only was I worthless, but now I was a burden on other people even more so. But for the first time hearing the words that I got a lot from it, you're an inspiration. Thank you, Matt. Let's just say I maybe started to see some value in myself for the first time. and. I was asked to share my story at a school the week after, the same school that brought those 30 kids. And it was a parents' student evening. It was from 30 kids in a room to 300 in a hall. And the same thing happened, although this time they were asking how they can support each other and themselves. Young people coming up to me one-on-one and asking these questions. And that was huge for me because what I'd realized was after that night, you know, my dad asked me, Matt, do you reckon you could take this somewhere? And it took me a while to answer. But what I realized was I was the person that I needed when I was 12. That evening, I brought an opportunity for these young people. I opened a space where it was okay to talk about these topics and actually ask the question, reach out. Hey, I'm going through this, this, and this. All my mates are doing that and that. How can I support them? How can I support myself? How can I get out of this place? That's the one thing I didn't do when I was younger. And now that was what I was inviting other people to do. And from that, I found a sense of purpose. Matt, just listening to you, I was wondering if you'd ever considered how things might have been different if you'd felt able to share your story before that day in January 2016. I don't believe I'd be in the position that I was today. Mm. Now, I can't go back and change what I did. And I wouldn't have been able to learn the lessons that I needed to learn along the journey had I not gone through the journey that I went on and being in the position I am today. By no means do I regret anything because the position I am in, honestly, I believe is the best possible version of Matt. If I was to go back in the headspace that I was in and not done what I'd done, I promise you, I wouldn't be here. Though, would I, if I had the opportunity to speak to younger Matt, would I tell him to share my story? Of course I would.
it would have changed my life drastically. You know, one of the lessons in your story coming across to me is the importance of talking, opening up about the issues and prevention, you know, better than cure, as people might say, and, and that mm -hmm. directness of conversation. You know, I'm thinking about the, 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 you know, not feeling able, you're not feeling able to talk about this before the suicide attempt, not being feeling able to talk about this openly after the suicide attempt. And then you've got this guy being very direct with you. So probably the first person being very direct with you and saying that was fucking stupid, wasn't it? Uh, and then that's kind of flicked the switch, it, it, it feels like. And you've now wanted to open up, talk about it, be direct. Are you very direct in the way that you now do your talks? Absolutely. And what I realise is I'm an invitation for other people to have a real conversation. And looking back on my journey, what was the one thing I needed? Well, I just wanted someone to connect with. I felt like no one understood me. I felt like I was all alone. But if I had someone speak to me, share, share their story, be open, just lead from vulnerability and strength rather than trying to paint a pretty picture that I did. I feel like it would have opened a space for me to actually reach out. You know, there were days before my injury where I was in a counselor's office because of all the stuff I used to get up to at school. But I used to lie to her. I didn't feel I could be honest. I didn't like being real. It's uncomfortable, but no one really showed me that there was a way to do it. And interesting that you use the terms vulnerability and strength there. That's a conversation that we've been having a lot recently with people. We often hear that young men uh, are told to be brave and strong and not say anything. You know, being brave and strong is not talking about uh, your feelings. And then we're told that we want people you know, to be brave and strong in opening up. So these are all kind of labels uh, that, are, that are put on. And uh, it's an ongoing discussion about the use of the word brave you said you were scared when you first talked and there's obviously an element of courage in first opening up but the vulnerability aspect seems to be critical here being open openly vulnerable is, is that something that you consciously think about when you do your talks there is a place for vulnerability not all vulnerability is brave if someone's coming at you with a knife being vulnerable is not a great idea you have personal struggles going on. If there is something bothering you mentally and you feel you can't figure it out and it's, it, it, it's pressing, it's not going away. There is a, a step of courage that vulnerability brings. Actually, firstly, being aware of your emotions, then accepting them, being aware and accepting, if you ask me, is a half the battle. And then being comfortable enough to be authentic and share that with someone else. Opening up your, about your emotions it can be uncomfortable. It is an act of courage to do so, to seek support. Matt, before we let you go, at, at the Jordan Legacy, we, we always like to end our shows with a message of hope. Um, in the UK, we're, we're tragically losing 200 school children and more than 70 university students to suicide every year. Um, the instances of self-harm and anxiety in our young people has probably never been so high. Um, how is life for you now? And, and what would your message be to, to any young person who's feeling a lack of self-worth or a sense of hopelessness? There is a light at the, at the end of your tunnel. And I promise you that. I was someone at 12 that saw nothing but darkness and then went about a suicide attempt. Not only did I not succeed, but woke up in a situation where my mental struggles were amplified because now I had physical restrictions at that point i didn't see any way out at that point i thought things were a joke i thought my life was a joke and that i was being punished beyond words but to be in the position i am now 
I look back on it and I, I honestly am grateful. So if you're in that place, if you have that heaviness, I urge you to seek support. Support is out there, whether it be a close friend, whether it be your family, whether it be a professional. What I'm hearing you say is that you're really encouraging young people to talk and open up to to someone maybe trusted, not that guy, as you say, on the railway uh, platform who might just give you a hard time. That, that might be a bit extreme. Um, look, uh, Matt, thanks so much for taking time out to join Danny, Paul and myself for this episode of, of Jordan Space. Um it's been really inspiring, genuinely, to spend some time with, with you today and hear your story. I'm sure it's going to be a powerful message for people listening. But look, if people want to find out more about the work that you do, how do they go about that? Absolutely. My website is mattcaruana.com. So that's M-A-T-T-C-A-R-U-A-N-A.com. My Instagram is Matt Shares. My Facebook and LinkedIn are Matthew Caruana. Fantastic. And we'll make sure we put the links on the website when we get the uh, the show uh, recordings to go out there. Uh, look, uh, thanks again, uh, Matt. Real real pleasure having you, you join us today. OK, let's take another short break. And when we come back, Danny, Paul and I will spend uh, just a few minutes reflecting on our chat with Matt today and what lessons we feel we can all take away from his story. We'll see you after this. You're listening to Yawa Radio and we love to bring you details of the inspirational book of the week. This week's inspirational book is The Wim Hof Method. Activate your potential, transcend your limits. The Sunday Times best-selling Iceman. Yeah, the Iceman Wim Hof shares his remarkable life story and powerful method for supercharging your strength, health and happiness. Refined over 40 years and championed by scientists across the globe, you'll learn how to harness the three key elements of cold, breathing and mindset to master mind over matter and achieve the impossible. This week's inspirational book of the week is the Sunday Times best-selling Iceman, The Wim Hof Method. Activate your potential and transcend your limits. This, this is, is Yawa Radio. Welcome back. Uh, well, Paul, Danny, another um, important interview, very, very different interview, I think, to to ones we've we've done before, and I think one that I'm, I'm hoping a lot of young people, in particular, it, it will resonate with them. But kind of some some reflections, really, from our conversation with with Matt. Um, kind of over to to you first, Paul, and your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, good on Matt for trying to get out there and, and spread the word and, and and support young people. And like he said, you know, to try and help people not have to go through what, what he went through. I think that's absolutely crucial here. Um, but it's a really sad story, isn't it? To have somebody at the age of 12 who thinks their life is worthless and is having suicidal thoughts and is harming themselves and getting into drugs and uh, and, and again, he, he talked about that addiction to, or not addiction, he talked about, you know, the obsession he said about going to the gym. We've heard a few other people talk about these kind of issues, uh, sometimes as addiction, sometimes as self-harm, but Matt used the word obsession and you can see how he got into that kind of spiral. And then you know, I, I've interviewed a lot of people who said that after they've survived a suicide attempt, you know, their life really turned around and they wanted to live and, make the most of life but obviously in his circumstances he's caused himself so many injuries um, and he's wishing he was dead you know so again it's a terribly terribly sad story 
But I think we have to focus on the messages that we and others can take away from this. How can the conversation be opened up earlier? How can some young person who's struggling be better supported? And, you know, we said at the beginning of the programme about that safe, supportive environment. How can we create those environments where, you know, at home or at school or wherever, with friends uh, online, you know, where people can open up so they do not get to the point where they feel their life is completely so worthless they want to end their life. Yeah, I think I think that's a really, really important point you made there, Paul. That you know, on, you know, we've heard of many people, as you say, who attempted to take their own lives and knew instantly, you know, or, or afterwards that you know they were glad to be alive. In in Matt's case, you know, he'd he'd looked at potentially another failure uh, from from his point of view. Um, but it was interesting. I know, Danny, you you asked Matt um, uh, your question at one point. If he'd gone back, you know, to to that date in January of of 2016 you know whether he would have opened up much much sooner I think that was a really important question and and you know he answered yes he would have done what what was what was some of the things that um kind of really resonated with you from our discussion with Matt today yeah I think I think it just shows that there's always a, a chance to turn things around for yourself and and even the greater good obviously now Matt goes out and shares his story but like Paul says the importance when it comes to mental health that you open up before it reaches crisis point like it did with Matt yeah yeah I think it's 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 really important you know he's he's clearly you know taking himself through you know with the drug issues and all kinds of things you know pretty horrendous journey saw a solution you know that solution hasn't worked worked out for him so I think I think it is really important that we look at the the the, the message here is that uh, you know as Matt said you know he wished he'd opened up and talked much earlier and although things have changed significantly in a much more hopeful way now I think the message has has to be um, firstly as Paul said create the right environment so people feel they can open up and I think it was really interesting that the relationship with his parents wasn't one where he felt he could open up in those early days it's changed now because of this traumatic event but you know I think message you know I'd be yeah. sending out you know to 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 parents and communities is is you know provide that space you know for young people in particular to be yeah. able to open up and there's two specific issues which we've covered in previous programs and previous events from the Jordan legacy around direct conversations um and you know again he didn't feel even after the suicide attempt he felt he couldn't open up about it there's still the shame the guilt the stigma whatever and then it took a stranger, you know, it's got a conversation with a stranger and somebody being very blunt with him. Uh, and it reminded me from my time in Australia when he used the term bogan. I haven't heard that for a while. A typical Australian bogan saying, you know, that was fucking stupid, wasn't it? You know, so the direct conversations are really important. The other thing is the, we talked a lot in previous programs and events about the age at which this conversation should take place. Well, if he's having suicidal thoughts at the age of 12, and we know many others are, then the conversation should be taking place at the age of 12, if not earlier. Um, and so, you know, we've got to again keep looking at the schools, keep looking at how we have that conversation. And when we get the pushback, as we you know, think about the great petitions from Three Dads Walking and Lee Fryatt and, and, and those issues we've covered previously. But, you know, people push back and say, oh, I'm not sure about having those conversations in schools. Well, they literally are lifesavers. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important point to to end today's show on. Uh, so, Danny, Paul, as always, you know, thank you uh, both for your uh, contributions to, to this week's show. And uh, and that's it for a, another couple of uh, weeks um, until we uh, come back for our, our next show. Um, I hope to everyone listening that you found uh, today's show informative and, and helpful and, and, and useful. Um, and... Um, if uh, you want to follow on the shows, do go to the jordanlegacy.com website uh, and our news event and radio menu at the top of the page there. You'll see recordings of our previous shows there, as well as other help resources that we provide as well. Um, you'll also be able to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Jordan Legacy UK. And that's it for another show. So thank you for listening and wishing you all a safe, healthy and hopeful rest of your week. A big thank you for taking the time out to listen to this podcast from the team at Yawa Radio. Remember to check us out live online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at yawaradio.com. Co.uk. And if you'd like to join us as a guest on Yawa Radio or as a guest on the Yawa Radio podcast, we would love to hear from you. Simply email studio at yawaradio.co.uk. Once again, a big thank you for taking the time out to listen. This is the Yawa Radio podcast. Copyright applies. <laughs>